You're listening to The Brave Yes, the show where we explore the many brave yes leaps that heart-centered, passionate women must make in order to show up in this world more fully as you, without apology. I'm your host, Sean Fink, a life and leadership coach for women who are ready to get to work on their next Brave Yes journey. And just a little reminder that this show is brought to you by the Rise Stronger 7-Day Challenge, a free resilience and well-being challenge to help you get ready for your next brave yes. Head over to seanfink.com and sign up. Sometimes the brave yes we must take in our lives has nothing to do with advancing ourselves or our careers and everything to do with being more whole and being more fully ourselves. Today, I'm talking with Mindy Sonas Choi, whose Brave Yes Voices story is just that, the journey of an already brave woman continuing her quest to be more whole. And to do so, she needed to change her name. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Mindy Sonas Choi. Mindy is an artist, activist, bridge builder, and the founder of the Be Seen Project, an arts initiative resourcing and centering Black, Indigenous, people of color creatives working to amplify marginalized voices and truths. She believes in using our unique superpowers for collective good and aims to bring more liberation and love to the world. Mindy is a Korean American adoptee, queer intersectional feminist, and modern-day bohemian and a lifelong devotee to the underdog. I think we're already soul sisters. Welcome, Mindy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Soul sisters, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad. I'm just so looking forward to this conversation. I want to first, every guest, I surprise you with a question, uh, at least for now, anyway, until people start listening to these episodes. I want to channel the great mystic Howard Thurman and ask you, how is it with given the state of the world, how is it with your soul today? Such a good question. How is it with my soul today? Well, I think my soul is alive and working on a lot of different levels. Um, I think like, probably all of us, it is hurting, Uh, it is activated, (laughs) it is ready for change, Um, and it feels really clear in its purpose. Yeah, very mixed all over the place. (laughs) All over over the place. Yep. Oh, goodness. So this show is The Brave Yes which is a, an idea that came to me when I made my own brave yes, which is for me, a feeling of both excitement and scary. And that's kind of the, the realm of what we've been exploring through this series. Um, and so I'd like to talk to you about your brave yes journey, but I wanna start before, because we know from this work that I've been doing with women for so long, that before we jump into whatever that authentic life path that we wanna jump into, there's usually some conflict and or some sort of catalytic moment that happens beforehand. So I would love for you to talk about what was happening for you before your brave yes 
And what was, you know, what were you feeling? What were you going through? So I think my life is a series of brave yeses. Yes. <laughs> yes that we are going to chat about specifically, I think, um, came with the dawning of this racial pandemic that we are in um, alongside me losing my job in COVID, alongside having the space and awareness in my own journey to begin unpacking a lot of things about my personal identity that I had not yet been ready to do so beforehand. Um, and really being activated in my activism work and reclaiming identity. Hmm. Yes. So give us a little bit of the background so of your life. I grew up as a Korean American adoptee um, in a white family, in a white community. And for most of my life, um, you know, it wasn't something that we ever really talked about at great depth. Um, we grew up in a time where uh, colorblindness was absolutely a thing. People would say, you know, I love you. It's not about the color of your skin. And that felt true and safe. Um, and at the same time, I really was struggling most of my life with the trauma of my adoption, but was unaware of it. So how it manifested was, you know, anxiety, depression, um, really this constant anxiety over trying to be liked and fit in and assimilate to a culture that wasn't actually mine. And not even just in the broader community, but inside you know, my own family, my own nuclear family. So when I began to sort of realize, or, and this took decades of, you know, exploring and coming to certain truths, um, you know, at a certain point you realize in, in the adoption world, it's called coming out of the fog. They actually have a name for it. When you begin, begin to realize, you know, how you are different from your family and how your identity has been taken from you and how, you know, the fairy tale of adoption and the narrative of saviorism um, is a lot more harmful than just, you know, a happy ending. So I've been tiptoeing up to that pretty much my whole life, but really in the deep throes of it the last few years. Hmm. So powerful to dig into. I mean, it's all what you're, what I think you're saying is, and this is the work that I'm so passionate about, is that you're really trying to come home to yourself. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And, and we all, I, I mean, no matter what background we, many of us, I came from a, a very, um, it was a bit of an oppressive system, family for women, very oppressive for women, in fact. And I've never fit in because I've always been this person who's not going to tolerate that. But even still, I've had to work really hard to take off those layers that you don't yeah. even know are there. Right. So it's almost right. like you're taking, you know, you, you said coming out of the fog, like taking off those glasses that yes. everything is good. Everything is perfect. Everything, you know, <laughs> I should be grateful, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, that statement, that phrase is such a problematic uh, expectation for anybody who's oppressed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you decided, so tell us what your brave yes, you know, has been, I mean, cause I think you're still in, in the process, although you have made um, a change and what inner resources did you have to use or outer resources to, to take that leap? So in 2020 specifically, I was really ready to begin searching for my Korean birth family. Um, and I think for most of my life, I told myself the story that, you know, I didn't need to know who they were. I didn't need to know the answers or, you know, open that Pandora's box. Um, and I think it was just, you know, my own inability to deal with that whole story, um, and to really take a look at, you know, that traumatic past. But over the years, um, just in terms of like what has resourced me on my journey, creativity absolutely 100% has been my way of processing and exploring hard things, um, as well as building community around some of these stories and being able to share and really connect with others on a human level and, um, you know, explore vulnerability and intimacy and all the things that are sort of foundational to making a brave yes leap like that. And a certain level of sturdiness in terms of being able to stand in my truth, it took a long time. And I think, again, like a lot of those resources that I used were being able to connect, being able to connect with myself and say what's true and, you know, feel the discomfort of that, uh, but do it anyways and, you know, feel more whole as a result. So in beginning that search for my biological family, um, I really also was sort of in this very um, moment where I was reclaiming and in a reckoning racially um, and really also, you know, just in a place where I was using my platform, using my voice to also explore and bring back my identity that I lost. So over the last year, I recently changed my name and reclaimed my Korean last name as part of my identity. And that was pretty huge um, as I've never been, you know, forward facing um, as a Korean person. I've always had an Americanized name um, and just realized what a huge impact just even that small change has made for me. Oh, yes. So what has it made? I mean, what what are you learning about yourself and, and are you still kind of, I always, I would say, I call this the messy middle when you're in the middle of something and you know, you're not, you're not there, you haven't arrived yet, right? Not that we ever really arrive because there's always messy middles, but <laughs> what, <laughs> so, what are, you, <laughs> are you in a messy middle now with this still? And what are you learning about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think you, what you said is exactly true is like what I've learned most of all is that there are no final answers. And so one of my mottos for this past year that has really come up has been about um, just really learning to live the questions and to be, and that's where I am, I feel like all the time. That's my messy middle all the time. I'm just always living the questions. And even though, or whether or not I find my biological family or any answers about that journey, that side of my journey, um, even if I found out answers, I would have more questions. <laughs> So it is always about living the questions. 
you're never at the end game. There is never any finality really to anything because you're always evolving. You're always changing and growing and learning new things. So there's always new questions. So that's been a really big revelation. Um, and in terms of my birth family search and my name change in and of itself, um, it's an extraordinarily long process from what I hear. Um, it's also a long shot. Um, I think only about 10% of Korean adoptees find their biological families because of historically how records are sealed and hidden and altered. Um, adoptees don't have many rights in terms of who they're allowed to connect with in their biological home families. So there's a lot of activi activism happening around adoptee rights. And um, yeah, so it's just really committing to being in the unknown in a really big way. Um, and then learning so many different aspects just about the process, about who I am. And by reclaiming, you know, this last name, Choi, which um, is a name that I'm pretty sure from what I've learned so far in my search was a name that was assigned to me. It wasn't actually my birth name. Um, but it feels so important to now have my identity in my name and where, you know, if I would submit, you know, art to a show, people would assume that, you know, I was white and they wouldn't know me as a person of color. So it really feels so important just in, in terms of that, just in terms of being able to have my name match who I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It never occurred to me until, you know, this past year or so that that disparity was happening for me, that my, that my name was actually erasing my identity in some way. Um, so it's been hugely powerful and revelatory and also really painful. Yeah. You know, what I love about this, these stories is that when I, the work that I've been wanting to do with women is about wholeness and coming home, you know, just being able to be all of you. Yeah. And when I, I started the Brave Yes series, I, I knew I wanted to talk about these Brave Yeses, but every single one comes back to identity and wholeness. Every single one, doesn't matter what has transpired, what the Brave Yes has been. It, all we really want is to feel whole. That's amazing. And, yeah, it is amazing. And I mean, and that was my journey when I decided you know, to, to leave my other brand, my other business and start kind of going out just as me, like, cause there was so much more to me than being a mom. And I really wanted people to know that. And I, I just felt like I was restricted to only talking about motherhood when really I wanted to talk about courage and wholeness and, you know, doing really brave things and, you know, but it always felt restricted. So I love that you, um, you have embraced this idea of wholeness. Do you do you do you walk in the world differently now that you you know you have this? I know you're not completely there yet, but you know just kind of knowing that you can be more you. Um, one hundred percent. I can. I definitely walk through the world differently, and that um, has both good and negative consequences. I mean, the positive aspects of that are that I know better where I stand, what my truths are, what my purpose is, how to tell my story, uh, what work I need to do in the world. Um, and then, you know, 
the negative side is really walking through the world as a person of color, especially in the time of COVID as an Asian American where Asian Americans are being called out and you know violence has been sought against them because of the coronavirus. Um, it feels scary to move through the world for myself and for my kids. Mm -hmm. So it's a real reckoning in a lot of directions. Um, it's a reclamation, but it's also um, a huge reality, <laughs> uh, a chunk of, you know, really seeing what this world is and how it holds space for marginalized people. So mm, absolutely it, both. It's like, it's, it's powerful in both directions. Yeah, absolutely. What about your family? Have they been supportive of your journey? So it's so interesting. Um, my family, my nuclear family, so my mom and my dad and my brother, um, who is also white, um, have always been with me on my journey, have always you know, said that they would support me in looking for my bi biological family um, and been supportive in that way. But it's really the whole idea of support and knowing people and being able to see people for their truth is such a nuanced thing. And I think where they are in their own journey, probably in a lot of ways, really just disinhibits them from being able to actually hear my story and see who I am. So that disparity of the fact that they truly love me and care about me and want to support me, but can't always support me because they just can't, they don't see my life experience because it's not their life experience um, has been difficult and difficult for me and, and difficult in our relationship in some ways, you know, as, as, as I've gotten older and, you know, really become an individual as opposed to being a little kid in a family. Um, you know, it's brought up a lot of hard conversations and it's, I, it's probably similar to a lot of hard conversations we are all having right now about race and, and relationships. Um, and it's not something I can ever step away from. So it's, it's pretty exhausting in a lot of ways, but it's also, you know, for me, it's empowering to be able to say what my truth is, no matter who it's to, even if it's to my mom and dad or you know, family members or close friends, um, that feels a, a big part of being able to reclaim wholeness, a big part of being able to say yes to myself and seeing myself. So I know it's important work, even though it's really difficult work. Mm, definitely. And you're trailblazing. I mean, this is a trailblazing move. I'm sure that there are people, um, other women, other men who would absolutely hear your story and go, I'm going to do that. I need to do that. Um, so what advice would you have for them if they're listening, you know, or they come across this podcast and they're like, they, I want to start this journey too. Um, I think so much of it has to do with being resourced on the inside, like how we were starting this conversation about both having external support, but also the internal resources and, you know, enough legs underneath you in terms of having dealt with the traumatic parts of that journey. I think, you know, 10 years ago, I never would have been able to dive deep into this search. It would have been too 
heartbreaking. It would have been, I wouldn't have been able to understand what I was seeing in the systemic issues. So there's so much of it is learning and unpacking, you know, the external realities and then resourcing yourself from the inside and just trying to find as many people who understand your story, who can see you clearly and hear you clearly, who, um, you know, have shared parts of your lived experience. I think it's so important to have that kind of community when we're talking about hard things like that. So, you know, I don't ever push any adoptees to like, they have to search for their birth family. It's really individual. And it's really about like, it, whether or not you feel that desire to, you know, add to your story and your wholeness. And I don't think everybody does or ha has the capacity to, or, um, you know, needs to. So I think it's really individual, but I think, um, you know, I think being resourced with community and just continuing to follow your truth, I think is important for everybody, no matter what journey they're on. Absolutely. And, you know, your, your conversation there just triggered something for me that, you know, I've done the kind of the opposite in my life where I haven't had contact with my father for 40 years. And I erased him from my life. You know, I changed my name because, you know, I, I would have been the woman who didn't change her name when she got married, but I didn't want him to be any part of who I am. And I live my life as if he doesn't exist. Um, you know, and that's how I, I think that's wholeness, but now I'm questioning. I'm like, Hmm, maybe I've been hiding a part of my story that I need to dive into. But until now, I have actually felt like I don't want him to be a part of my life because he chose to walk out and that was his choice. So I think that, you know, you're right. It's individual, right? Like I could choose to go down that journey and open up a lot of things, or I can choose to kind of stay in my power where I am right now. Um, so anyway, just given me such an interesting thing to ponder, which is why I love these conversations. <laughs> yeah. So great. It's so great. And it's so interesting how our brains work to really like protect our hearts and protect our stories. Um, it's just all so interesting. <laughs> it is. It is. The, you know, we, we really do protect ourselves yeah. in every capacity of our lives. Yeah. And yeah. I feel bad about that. And I hope I, I, you know, I would love to say that, you know, it's all part of the learning and protecting from ourselves from hard things is not like shame on you. You should be able to just like unpack everything and let everything out of the box. But I don't think that's true. I think, you know, we can also do harm to ourselves in doing that. So I think it's important to really learn discernment and really learn um, like what true self-care and self-love is um, along the way for sure because it's hard it's hard to know like what is going to be helpful and what is not going to be helpful yeah <laughs> yeah we don't know if we knew it'd be really great <laughs> right right it'd be easy right so yeah or so, so much this, like having external support so important I think I agree. And I, you know, I wanted to emphasize that. I think that's, it's coming up and, and I knew that it would, that, you know, when we're going to do something, anything that's going to call us home to ourselves, we do need people. We need to surround ourselves with the people who are going to support us, encourage us, 
Totally. Yeah, we don't live in a vacuum. And I think all of this work that we've been doing to really um, dive into our individualism and to prop up our ourselves has been helpful in one way, but I think it's been harmful in another way where it's really separated ourselves from each other and really built this mindset of like, I can do it alone. Like, you know, and it's, and we can't, the reality, everything happens in the context of relationship, um, whether it's one-on-one relationship or community relationship or cultural relationship. And we need to move in that way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I believe that the work is individual and relational. It is not, it is not either or. Right. Yep. All of my growth that I have worked toward for me has happened not because I've not done the work because I have done the work, but because I also reached out to find like-minded people to support me along the way. Or you and I wouldn't be talking because I think I, you know, somehow we cross paths, right? Like that's how this works. You find the people who you're connected to and you, you, they're your guides. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and the things you bump up against help you navigate where is the wrong ways to go and who are not your people. <laughs> exactly. so it, works, it works in both directions. And yeah, it's, it's so true. You need yeah. both. And you have to be really intentional about those people. I think it's really important. Your brave yes journey isn't for everyone to hear. hundred <laughs> percent. It. It's tender, yeah. right? It's so tender and vulnerable. So really having people who are, and even if it's only just one person, I think we have the perception of like, everybody has their, you know, lots of people in their community. You know, I really only have a handful of like really close individuals who really can see me and hear me and understand me and have empathy for my journey, who like, I really tell the most um, honest and true parts of me and can mirror that back to me and hold space for me and understand like what I'm going through. And that's critical for sure. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm also a small group person. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So talk for a minute about your project, the Be Seen Project, which I just love. I think it's an amazing, also out of the pandemic and and this racial um, uprising. Yes. So, you know, it's just part of the perfect storm of everything that I went through in 2020. And, you know, as I mentioned, having lost my job, I had time and energy to pour into another project. And the Be Seen Project is actually something that popped up in one of my inspiration notebooks that I was scribbling about uh, back in 2015. And back then I was really digging into my sexual identity and who I was um, as a queer person and really trying to come to terms with how to create community around that. And so I had the idea of this, hmm, I could create this Be Seen project where we could come together, you know, as people who have um, different kinds of marginalizations and tell our stories and and be heard and be visible. Um, but I knew it wasn't quite the thing that, that was right. And I, it was one of those seeds that I planted and it was marinating. And when George Floyd was murdered, it was right around that time where I knew um, it was time to put that project to work. And the Be Seen piece was really a broader marginalization of, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color in general. And, you know, where my work is and has been and and what I'm passionate about is creativity. So I knew it was going to be a project about centering those creative voices 
who are not just making art, but making specifically making and engaging with social justice and human rights with their creativity. Um, and it's been really powerful and impactful and a really great exercise in building um, inclusive community from the ground up, which I've never done before. I've actually, my communities have always been pretty white facing, mm -hmm. um, which says a lot about who I was and my identity, which is very, all very interesting. So the Be Seen Project is an initiative, it's a platform where you resource uh, BIPOC artists and makers to do grassroots activism work with their projects. And, you know, we offer funding, we offer space to communicate, we offer space to collaborate and be in community. Um, we gather resources. Uh, we have a print zine that we reach out to people and also can pay artists to be a part of and a podcast and a lot of different great facets of um, an initiative that's really meant to be on the ground and not something shiny and produced per se. I'm really like exploring what it means um, to work outside of a traditional quote unquote business model and be really values driven um, instead of capitalize on, on certain efforts. So it's been an interesting experiment and really informative um, and just really exciting. I'm so happy I can amplify the voices of people who have not had the opportunity to be in the spotlight and also, you know, resource them with community and funding and things like that, that are critical in this moment. Yeah, beautiful. And we'll, we will make sure that we add links so that people can check out all of the, the goodness that's going on there because it is amazing. I just love, love seeing all these great people who are doing amazing things. And it just goes to show that we just need to be lifting up all of these voices because there's so much happening that we're not aware of because of right. you, like this, the white dominated industry. Yeah. I thought one of the most interesting things I've talked about this in uh, another podcast is, um, you know, just my own awareness on social media of many more BIPOC um, people who are doing amazing things like plants and gardening, like things I've been interested in, although I think, you know, plants are a new trend, but you know, now I can see black men gardening and black women, you know, talking about plants. I mean, this did not happen before 2020. No, our lens gladly expanded tremendously. Um, you know, and it's a double-edged sword. It's like, why weren't we seeing those voices before? But happy that it's happening now and hoping that it's not just a trend and that right. something will continue to expand and grow for sure. Cause there are, and I was in the same boat for sure. Like my lens was so narrow and I was not aware of it. And then, you know, once I began the Be Seen project, I was like, oh, there's like this whole world of people out there that I was never able to see. So I'm grateful to have this, you know, broader lens for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to ask you as just a series of questions and you answer them as authentically and real as you'd like. Um, they're okay. meant to be kind of more fun and just get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, so first question, what does brave yes mean to you? Brave yes means uh, bumping up against vulnerability and meeting it with courage. Mm, yes, I love that. That is beautiful. Okay, I would love to know what life adventure you have already had that you loved and what is a life adventure that you would like to experience? 
After wow. pandemic, of course. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so something that I have experienced, um, I was able to back in 2004, I think it was, um, travel to Korea for the first time um, and be in my birthplace. And it was extraordinary, but I also was not awake yet. Like I was not there to search for roots or understand my place. I was really there um, as a tourist in, so, in a lot of ways. Um, and so, you know, I would love to get back to Korea uh, with my family, with my husband and my two boys um, and really have that experience from the perspective of seeing who I am as part of that culture and um, continuing the search for my birth family over there. Oh yeah, that would be so beautiful. It, it, isn't it amazing? You were there and, you, and it just, it, it just being woke just has stages, <laughs> so many yeah. stages. Yes, and I don't love that term, but it is, it is certainly accurate. I mean, I was certainly in the fog still, like I was mm -hmm. certainly in the world through the lens of, you know, the, the stories that I was living in. Um, but yes, it's totally different. <laughs> it's totally yeah. different now. And that was only, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't that long ago, but a lot has, <laughs> feels like a 10 lot years in between. <laughs> yeah. So hoping to get back. Um, there's when I, I turned 50 next year and every three years, um, there's an agency that hosts uh, Korean adoptees from all over the world to come together uh, for a celebration and conference. And the next one happens to be in my 50th birthday year. Oh, wow. Oh, and it's my uh, oldest son's also taking a gap year. He's graduating from high school this year and he loves all things Asian and Japan and Korea, especially. So would love to make a little trip for the two of us happen and have my husband and other, my younger son come join us for some of that time. So we're that's we'll exciting. See. We'll see. It is yeah. exciting. Okay, well, I will do some, you know, praying that the pandemic ends and makes that all possible for you and Thank everybody you. else, right? <laughs> everybody else who wants to move about the world. I know, I know. we all are ready to get out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> Even my homebody self is like, I am going to go really far. <laughs> Because I can. Yep. Not stopping me. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just going. <laughs> so tell me about a recent book that you read that you loved or were inspired by. Um, right now I'm rereading Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking. Mm. And I read it like when it first came out. So way back when. Um, but I really, there was something tugging me. Um, back to that book because I really think again like now seeing the world through this very different lens I think it has new wisdom for me and it really is coming in in a different more full way and so it's been really fun to reread that book. Mm, good point I, I read that years ago too and that would be a good one to revisit. Yeah in fact yeah of like collaborative living like asking each other for the things we need I think is so current and it's so important right now. I mean, we're all digging into, you know, what it means to help gather resources and share resources and what 
mutual aid means and things like that. It's, so it's, I think it feels really relevant to this moment. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Okay, final question. Somebody that you admire for their courage and authenticity. Mm, so I would have to say in this particular moment, um, that would have to be um, a woman named Kara Boss. And she is a Korean adoptee who lives in the Netherlands. Um, and she recently made a landmark um, case to try and search for her birth family in Korea um, and really push back against laws that prevent adoptees from being able to find their birth families. Um, and she received, you know, hate mail and death threats and like, you know, the things that happen when you're really trying to disrupt systems. Um, so she did that for our entire, you know, global Korean adoptee community of, you know, over 200,000 adoptees. And um, I thought that was a pretty big brave yes. That is huge. Yes. Disrupting. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Gotta be done. It's gotta be done. And it's going to take a lot of brave yeses to get there because there's a lot to disrupt. There absolutely is. So the people who are like leading those uh, paths and blazing those trails, I, you know, give total props to. Absolutely. Yes. And you're one of them. So I give props to you. And I just want to thank, thank you, you for being here and sharing your brave yes story. I'm so grateful. I really appreciate that. And it's so wonderful to be here with you and just on this evolution of both our journeys. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. It has been a pleasure. Thanks, Sean. 